This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies, a better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. What's up? Welcome into the Tuesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. I'm Daniel Sellerson here from Studio B. Hope this Tuesday finds you well. It's still pretty warm here in the Big Easy. I'm a big fan of the warm weather. I know some of you rather have it cold here in the wintertime, but nonetheless, I hope this Tuesday is good for you. Hope you all are gearing up for the new year this weekend, and uh, hope some of you enjoyed the Pelicans and Mavericks last night at the Smoothie King Center as the Pelicans earned their second straight win. First time that's happened in almost a month, actually more than a month, November 22nd and 23rd was the last time the Pelicans won two in a row. They beat the Mavericks last night 111-104 to improve to 2-1 and on this five-game homestand. They'll take on the Clippers on Wednesday night and finish off the homestand on Friday night against the New York Knicks. It was a good night for Anthony Davis and the Pelicans. AD 28 points, 16 rebounds, 8 of 14 from the field, and 12 of 14 from the foul line. That's his fourth straight game of um, 28-plus points and 15-plus rebounds. First time that's happened since Sean Marion did it. Back in 2006 for the five starters in double figures as the Pelicans went small. Anthony Davis started at center. Dante Cunningham and Solomon Hill were at the forward positions. Dante finished with 11. Hill finished with 10. Buddy Heald finished with 14 points, 6 of 8 shooting. A very efficient night for Mr. Heald. And Holiday was the lone starter non-double figures. 7 points on 11 assists, 2 of 11 shooting from the field. Off the bench, it was Galloway and Moore leading the way. Langston Galloway, 17 points. Five of five from beyond the arc, and each one more two of three from beyond the arc with 16 points. So those two combined to shoot seven of eight from three-point land last night. So a nice night for the Pelicans. They shoot 53% from the field, 48% from three, and only turned them all over 11 times. That's a nice recipe for a win, and the Pelicans do so last night. We'll have Jim offer from Pelicans.com recap last night's win, talk about that small ball lineup a little bit, and look ahead to these next two games and kind of look at the West playoff picture. Yes, with less than 50 games to go now, the uh, race for eighth in the West is, uh, man, it's a, as someone would like to call it, an eight-team pileup, basically, because even those that are 15th in the West are just as close to eighth as they are to the bottom of the, the Western Conference standing. So should be interesting. The Pelicans sit now three games back of the Sacramento Kings for that final playoff spot. Now they're just one game back of the plays, the Blazers, who Pel we thought we'd be chasing, or the Pelicans would be chasing uh, throughout the uh, rest of the season. So should be interesting. Um, and still plenty of time here with plenty of basketball left to be played. Uh, week 16 in the books for the NFL last night as uh, the Cowboys rolled over to Lions, a big one. Uh, Des Bryant, two uh, receiving touchdowns and a passing touchdown. And the Cowboys uh, continue the roll. 13 wins. How about that for a, a rookie quarterback? And you have a rookie running back. Um, both those guys in the MVP conversation, they have secured home field advantage. And uh, I think still will play their starters next week against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, the Falcons with a big win. Got some help actually from the Saints. And also got some help from the Arizona Cardinals now sitting at that two seed. And Saints could play spoiler on Sunday afternoon because if the Falcons beat the Saints, the Falcons would be the two seed in the NFC. But if they lose and Seattle wins, Seattle will climb back into the number two spot and the Falcons would drop to number three. So a bye is on the line there for the Falcons. So the Saints have a chance to be spoiler. In the uh, NFC, there are still a, uh, two playoff spots to be earned. 
as the, the Lions and Packers will play for the division on Sunday Night Football. Should be very exciting. And the Redskins uh, sort of have the outside edge if they uh, win and uh, one of those teams loses, which they will. Uh, the Redskins could be sitting at that sixth seed there in the NFC. In the AFC, all the uh, spots have been clinched. It's just seeding uh, still yet to be determined as uh, with the Raiders, that tough uh, loss with Derek Carr being out for the remainder of the season. If they lose and the Kansas City Chiefs win on Sunday, the Chiefs would be the two seed and the Raiders would drop down to number five. So lots of things still on the line for week 17. Not as much as we thought, but still should be an exciting Sunday for football. And of course, we'll start to begin our, we'll begin our preview of Falcons and Saints starting tomorrow. Of course, uh, most of you have already finished your fantasy football season. Congrats to those who have won their fantasy football championship. I finished third and fourth in my leagues. None of you care about that, but just thought I'd like to share. But we're still going to have Jake Seeley on one more time for MotoExperts.com. We're going to kind of recap uh, the year that was in fantasy football, give you an MVP, a least valuable player. And hey, we'll even get you ready for next season just a little bit. Maybe some players to look out for when you start drafting or thinking about keeping guys if you have a keeper league. So Jake Seeley will join us one more time from RotoExperts.com, and we'll talk to Jim Eikenhofer from Pelicans.com. That's your Tuesday show. We'll begin with Pelicans Talk with Jim next. This is the Black and Blue Report. We all know Saints fans are humble, hardworking, likable, and the most devoted fans in the league. All of that takes energy. The energy you get from a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Saints fans everywhere. Try the delicious Chunky Chicken and Sausage Gumbo. Just visit your local Winn-Dixie and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup. The hearty way to fuel your game. And the official soup of the New Orleans Saints. You're at a dinner party. You're seated next to a loudmouth. Plus, there's no bread. Why is there no bread? Myrtle the family chow chow seems very interested in you. But you're allergic to Myrtle and you left your inhaler at home. But it doesn't have to be this way. Win the night with the New Orleans Pelicans. See Anthony Davis and the Pels face off against Chris Paul and the L.A. Clippers. Wednesday, December 28th. Visit pelicans.com for tickets and win the night. Auctioner believes the best way to predict the future is to invent it. Here, our doctors and staff are changing lives day after day. Every week, I'm operating on babies who are days old with hearts smaller than walnuts. We're giving these kids a life they wouldn't otherwise have, a chance to grow up. Sometimes, cancer patients come who were told they were out of options. But Auctioner has the most clinical trials in the state. It's amazing to be able to give second chances. We're always a step ahead, even with simple things like getting you in to see a doctor today versus a week from now so what you have doesn't become something bigger. It makes a difference. Every day, Auctioner is creating a better future by looking forward and thinking differently to find life-changing solutions. That's healthcare with peace of mind. Appointments are available today. Call 866-AUCTIONER or visit auctioner.org. We're talking Pelicans basketball on the Black and Blue Report. Well, it's very rare we get Jim Eikenhofer in the studio for his normal Tuesday conversation here in the Black and Blue Report, but I met his demands of uh, green M&M's, uh, fruit basket, and a uh, six-pack of soda. Jim Eikenhofer <laughs> joins me from Pelicans.com. Jim, always a pleasure having you on, my friend. 
it's great to be here. Actually, there was a couple of things on the list that you I don't believe you you covered, but I decided to come in anyways. And no no problem. You came in ten minutes late, so uh, those demands were not five. Made. Okay, well we can go back and forth on this, but let's start <laughs> the conversation here. First off, Jim, how was your uh, Christmas vacation? Did you have a good couple of days off there? It was great. It was great. I mean, the season is so busy. I'm not complaining because it's a lot of fun and we have great jobs. But it was amazing to have more than a day off in a row. I felt like I had an all-star break, so that was the first of two all-star breaks this season. I did not know what to do with myself having two straight days and not having to come to work. Yeah, exactly. It was the second day you're kind of like, wait, isn't there a game or something yeah. I have to be at tonight? But it was great. I felt really refreshed. I feel feel uh, totally different, as crazy as that sounds, to just have two days. It, it, it really did make a difference. I feel um, a lot better. And, of course, you watched a bunch of basketball like I did probably, right? No doubt. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the Golden State-Cleveland game was great. A couple of the other games I, I watched that were, they were really good. It was a really good day for the league overall, for sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. It was a good night for the Pelicans last night, being the Mavericks at home, 111-104, to 2-1 on this homestand. Two straight wins for the first time in over a month. Um, Jim, let's just talk about the win tonight. What well, Last night, what were some takeaways from the game? Well, I thought the it was interesting that it was kind of the opposite game of the previous one where Friday against Miami it was a huge struggle to make shots and offense was a was a, a slog the whole night. Um last night was both teams were really good offensively. Pelicans shot over 50%. I think Dallas was very close until the the, the last very end. They were over 50% and but you still ended up winning, so um that was a, definitely a a good sign that you can um come back and, and win games two two different ways let's talk about the lineup for the pelicans that uh alvin gentry brought out to start the game with anthony davis starting at the five he had dante cutting him and solomon hill at the forts and uh buddy healed and drew holiday at the one and two positions uh, a little bit of a small ball because dallas went small with dirk at the five um what did you make of the pelican small ball lineup i think it's something that that worked out really well it it, it seems like that's the way the the league is going it's going away from, you know, slower, bigger players. It's going towards, you know, quicker guys with more athleticism. Fortunately for with the, for the Pelicans, they have Anthony Davis, who's the best combination of both, a 6'11 guy who very few people can hang with athletically that play power forward or center. So um, it was a, it, it was an interesting mix of, of guys, and that was the first time that they had used that starting lineup. So... I mean, it, it's possible that we could see a lot more of that, especially if it gets those kind of results. What are some of the positive effects? As you mentioned, it showed some great results last night. What are some of the positive effects of going? I guess Gentry doesn't like to call it small, but how about AD starting at the five? And also some of the negative effects maybe of uh, AD starting at the five. From a positive standpoint, I think several of the, the other players mentioned this last night um, be, besides Anthony Davis. Uh, there's there's very few centers that can that can handle Anthony Davis. I mean, power forward, there's a, there's not many guys that can can defend him either. But for, on average, the the power forwards in the NBA have a little bit better um, chance, I guess you could say, of being able to contend with Anthony Davis in terms of their combination of of length and athleticism. The problem that centers have is that a lot of them are are you know you might they might be seven footers or six ten six eleven or bigger. But they're just not as quick. So I mean, there's not many fives that can that can defend. There's a lot of fives that are just overwhelmed against Anthony Davis. So if you if you use Anthony Davis at center, and the other team has a kind of a traditional five man, like just to use one example, not to pick on him, but like Roy Hibbert. If 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 you're 
if you're playing against a team that has him as their center, then your your power forward is going to have to guard Anthony Davis, and then if you, if Roy Hibbert has to guard somebody like Solomon Hill or Dante Cunningham that shoots threes, it's going to be really it's going to be almost impossible for him to do that because he doesn't want to spend a lot of time defensively around the three point arc. So it's just one of those things where you you depending on the team you're playing against, you can cause a, a lot of problems as far as how how they can match up against you when when AD's at center. Um, the t- the the negative part of it about it is. Um, that sometimes you can get um, beaten up on the backboards when you go with a smaller lineup or whatever you want to call it. But the thing about that is that's less of a, a problem, I think, for the Pelicans is that Anthony Davis is such a such a good rebounder that you're not. it's not going to happen that often. And the other thing, too, trend in the NBA is that you just don't have as many guys that play in the low post and guys that can beat you up in the paint. So you see fewer and fewer teams be able to take advantage of that of a situation where it's like, okay, the other team is going really small. We're still going to stick with our main lineup, and we're going to just pound the ball inside in the low post, and we're going to destroy them on the boards. You just don't see as many teams able to do that as as you used to, like, say, five or ten years ago. And the Pelicans are still able to out-rebound the Dallas Mavericks last night, 41-32, to so the negative there wasn't in effect last night against Dallas. When you face a team like the Clippers on Wednesday, you have DeAndre Jordan, but you're not going to have Blake Griffin due to injury. Is that something where you roll out the same lineup because you probably could can match up with them, knowing that you don't have one of their key big men there to play? Yeah, I think so because um, you know the the one thing that's interesting about DeAndre Jordan is that he's not much of an offensive threat in terms of like conventional offense. He's more of a alley oop guy, tip in guy. So I think sometimes when you when you play if you're undersized or you're playing against a center um you you might worry about foul trouble for Anthony Davis or you might worry about getting beat up inside but DeAndre Jordan is just not that type of player so yeah I think you you probably can get away with that's not even the right word you you probably can use that same lineup and, and be in good shape the Clippers have been using um really like two small forwards as their as their forwards with Blake Griffin out so I mean, they're they're kind of going that same route, even though they have DeAndre Jordan is is close to a to a like old school five as 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 you can come pretty much in terms of like he doesn't do much away f- more than five feet from the basket on on either end of the court, especially offensively. So um, so the Clippers are really going in that mode themselves of of using m- more of like the new school lineup with especially with Blake Griffin not playing. I want to focus on the Pelicans and their three-point shooting. It seems of late the Pelicans have been shooting very well. You saw it last night. Again, 48% from downtown. And you had each one more 2 of 3. Buddy Heald 2 of 4. Solomon Hill 2 of 5. And uh, most importantly, Langston Galloway 5 of 5 last night with 17 points, 6 of 8 shooting. Um, talk about, is this more just the Pelicans are finally uh, hitting some open shots? Because they've been able to get the open shots, just haven't been hitting or um, is there something else to it? And also, what do you make of Galloway, who's been lights out from three, especially in the fourth quarter? I have a hard time really ever being able to explain shooting. And I think if you ask the players from game to game, like, for example, the Miami game, they shot really poorly. They come back the very next game and shoot great. If you ask the players, I don't think they could even explain it. It's mm-hmm. just one of those things. Like Shooting is very hard to pin down as to what – how to explain like why in certain games you shoot well, other games you shoot poorly. I mean, one factor could be, and this this doesn't really apply overall because, like I said, the Miami game was a poor performance shooting-wise, but I think 
just having some games at home definitely helps. If you look almost across the board, there's there are some exceptions, but guys shoot better at home than they do on the road. So I do think some of the guys, especially Langston, like you mentioned, is getting so comfortable at home, and he's getting – they've played enough games now where it does feel like a home court advantage, and I think they're getting used to the rims and the shooting backgrounds and stuff like that. So, you know, that's definitely making a difference. One stat that is crazy about Langston Galloway is that he's shooting 64% on three-pointers in the fourth quarter at home this year. So, I mean, he's almost making two-thirds of the of the threes that he takes in the fourth quarter when the team's here. So that's pretty – pretty lethal stat and I'm pretty sure that's number one in the NBA Um, but as far as Langston just he's been so impressive with his ability to just get on rolls and just be able to get hot so quickly against Dallas he had a stretch of less than two minutes last night um, bridging the third and fourth quarters where he made three threes and it went it took it from a four-point lead to I think nine or eleven just like that so he's um he's been really impressive I didn't did not realize I knew he could shoot his his Three-point percentage was okay with New York, but not great. But, I mean, he's he's been, you know, so good at, at coming in and crunch time and making big shots so far in the first couple months he's been here. Talking with Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. Let's uh, focus in on the rest of this five-game homestand, which Pelicans have gone two and one. You have a Clippers team tomorrow that could potentially be shorthanded. As we mentioned already, Blake Griffin out. Chris Paul and J.J. Redick both missed yesterday's game with hamstring injuries. No word yet on whether any of those two will play. And then you have a Knicks team that's been kind of uh, off and on as far as how they've been playing. Not really consistent, but they have some good players, of course, in Carmel Anthony and Christos Porzingis have been playing well. Two very winnable games here, Jim, and a chance to go 4-1 and one on this homestand. Yeah, the thing with the Clippers that's interesting to me is that they've shown they're such a good team overall. They've been for the last five years or so that when they don't have Chris Paul or Blake Griffin, they seem to have enough guys that can step up and fill a little bit of a bigger role, and they, they're still fine. They've had some big winning streaks with both of those guys out over the past couple of years. But I think when all of them or both of those guys and J.J. Redick are out, you're in, they're in a situation where you just have too many guys that have to fill bigger roles than they have than what they're used to. So, so like you said, I mean, we don't know the, the injury status of those guys yet for tomorrow. We'll probably find that out tomorrow morning. Um, before or after their shoot around, um, but that that that's a much more winnable game when you look at if they have a bunch of guys out, obviously, than if everyone's healthy and Blake Griffin definitely won't play. We know that for sure. So that's that that's that would be a huge win if you can get it. I mean, you're happy to get one against the Clippers, regardless of who's in the uniforms out there, because they've been one of the best teams in the West for a while. Um, as far as the Knicks go. Um, They've been a lot better at home. They've had a really good good home record so far this season. Haven't had a ton of, I don't think, great wins on the road so far. So, so yeah, you look at that game as another one that, that you, you think you you have a, a decent chance of getting, and, and hopefully they'll be able to close this out with a couple more wins. But as the players said a bunch of times last night, you got, got to take it one game at a time from their perspective. So, But it's it's definitely it's it's interesting to see a team that's 12-21 and 21 and think about how much more optimism and enthusiasm there is f- lately, I think, from based on two factors. One, that they're playing better. They've won three out of the last four. And two, that that the the West is just so uncharacteristically weak this year after the f- top seven teams. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because the players would like to say, let's take it one game at a time, but we don't have to do that here. We can right. talk about the future. And if the Pelicans do go 4-1 and one on this homestand, I don't want to jump ahead, but you look at the standings right now, 
You have the Kings right now in the eighth seed. Who thought would be chasing the Kings right now? Mm -hmm. Three games back, and then the uh, Nuggets are right behind them. I think the Pelicans are two and a half or two back of the Nuggets, maybe even three. And then the Blazers are two. It's two. And then the Blazers are just one game ahead of the Pelicans here. So, Jim, if you get these two, and uh, like you mentioned, I mean, the race for eighth in the West, you can technically go all the way down to 15, where you're only maybe five or six back if you're last place in the West. So as much as we talk about 12 and 21 and think, man, are you really talking playoffs right now? Mm-hmm. No matter how you got there, the Pelicans are in the heat of this thing right now. Yeah, it's funny. The Pelicans, New Orleans, has been in the Western Conference since 2004. The 04-05 season was the first year that they moved over after they had been in the East the first couple of years that they were here in this city. And I would think – I think you could you could reasonably say – that since 2004, there has never been a time when it was beneficial to be in the Western Conference until this season. Mm. So it's it's funny, like the that really that's that's one of the that's the thing that's keeping everybody in the race. Like you mentioned, is that nobody's really you know way out of it right now. But um, but yeah, I mean that's the, that's the way it is. You you there's no way before the season if you had said that they're 12 and 21 through 33 games that you would think that they have any shot. But just the way the West is right now, and you know I was actually looking. Not that it's just Sacramento, as you alluded to. There's other teams in in the way, like Denver, um, and Portland. But I was just looking at Sacramento's um, upcoming games, and they have a a long homestand coming up. But they have like every they have all of the elite teams in the NBA on their homestand. They play Cleveland, Golden State. Um, I forget maybe San Antonio. <clears throat> excuse me, one of the other games, and then they have like a seven game road trip after that, which is going to be really tough. So, I mean, it's it's totally it's totally open right now as crazy as that that sounds with um the records that some of these teams have so but i do think that that's a factor and it's something that um from a positive standpoint it's something that you can look at and say like yeah we we definitely have not gotten off to close to the start that we wanted to um 0 and 8 didn't help with with Drew Holiday not not with the team yet but you're still able to look at like there's a race going on and you're not out of it. I want to go back to these next two games here at home for the Pelicans as we talk about the playoff race right now with, I believe now 49 games to go for new Orleans Um, with six of your first seven games on the road to start January. um, I know Alvin Gentry talked about, and some of the players are talking about how this homestand is the most important stretch um, of the season with it being two and one and you're facing a good Clippers team and a pretty good Knicks team. How, and it's probably a cliche question, but how important are these two games? As far as maybe if you don't, if you split these two games, are the Pelicans still okay heading into that uh, big road trip coming up in January? How big are these two games for New Orleans? I, I think so. I mean, I think they're they're pretty important, but at the same time, the one difference that I look at with the road trip is that well, there's a couple factors. One, from a negative standpoint. Obviously, the Pelicans have struggled a ton on the road, need to get way more road wins. So when you go on to any five-game road trip, you're you're concerned because you haven't had a lot of success. On the other hand, the Pelicans are like 7-3 and three against the East this year, and all five of those games are against Eastern teams, as well as really um, it's kind of a combination of a couple teams that have really struggled, like Brooklyn's on that road trip, and also a few teams that were supposed to be really good this year that haven't been that great, like Indiana is a – probably the best example of that. Um, Chicago's kind mm-hmm. of drifted back to now they're below 500. So um, it's it's an interesting trip just from the standpoint of I'm not sure if it looks exactly the way you, it, you thought it might at, 
when the season started. So, um, but to, to to go back to your question, I mean, I think all when you're in a hole like this where you're you're three games out of eighth place, every game is important. So right. they need to win these next couple home games for sure, and then try to uh, to do well on that east on that East Coast trip. But I don't look at it necessarily as as a as a thing where it's like frightening based on the the opponents I think you know you sh- you might be able to hold your own on that road trip if you can play well very important two games before the year 2016 comes to an end that's Jim Eikenhoff from Pelicans.com of course you can follow him on Twitter is it at Jim underscore Eikenhoffer yes it is and check out his work on Pelicans.com and the Pelicans mobile app Jim as always appreciate you uh, coming on the show and uh We'll talk to you tomorrow at the Smoothie King Center for Pelicans Clippers. Sounds good. All right. When we come back, we'll recap the fantasy football season with Jake Seeley from RotoExperts.com. This is the Black and Blue Report. Hey, New Orleans. The world's biggest party just got even bigger because NBA All-Star 2017 is coming to the Big Easy. You know about the big game on Sunday, but there's a whole weekend of fun. Starting Friday night, come check out the BBVA Compass Rising Stars Challenge and the Celebrity Game. Then the D-League All-Star Game on Saturday. Even watch the best athletes in the world get ready at All-Star Practice. Tickets start at just $10. Don't miss out. Visit NBATickets.com now. We all know Saints fans are humble, hardworking, likable, and the most devoted fans in the league. All of that takes energy. The energy you get from a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Saints fans everywhere. Try the delicious Chunky Chicken and Sausage Gumbo. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, the hearty way to fuel your game, and the official soup of the New Orleans Saints. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Daniel Sellerson. Welcome back to the show. For the last time this season, we welcome in Jake Seeley from RotoExperts.com, part of our last Fantasy Focus presented by Campbell Soup. Jake, Jake, I can't believe we are here. Week 17. Hope this Tuesday finds you well, my friend. Yeah, it's bittersweet. It's, you know, it's exciting to be at this point but at the same time it's, oh, i can't believe it's already over every year it seems like it goes so quickly i know that's for sure so we're gonna we don't think a lot of people are gonna be doing worrying about fantasy football this week and, and if you do yikes uh, good luck with that with all the uh things hopefully going on not. yeah hopefully not that's right so we're gonna kind of recap the season that was here for fantasy football with jake jake's gonna hand out some awards uh, we'll call them the sealies does that sound good jake that works. <laughs> All right. Let's start off with fantasy football MVP. Who is that for you this season? Uh, I think that it has to go to only one person, and I think it's David Johnson. You know, there's an argument that I made from being the number one pick overall in the draft, and even if you spent the number one overall pick on him, I know a lot of people want to say MVP gets you a little bit more value if it took them later, but you can't ignore what he's done. If you played in standard leagues even, whether you're PPR or standard, but if you play in standard – he hit double-digit points every single game. That is just not something we see very often, if ever, to have double-digit points week in and week out from a standard league. A PPR, of course, it's more common because of the added scoring. But to do what he's done this year, and if you look at the numbers he's put up, and if you just put his numbers up at wide receiver alone, just take away the rushing and just give him his receiving yards. He's inside the top 25. You basically got a free wide receiver, too, along with your number one running back. And that alone just gives the argument to him. I know – you could say, well, Matt Ryan, I think he's more of a waiver wire MVP. Uh, you know, you obviously got one of the top three quarterbacks who's been exceptionally consistent, a plug it and forget it quarterback, but I just don't see how you don't say David Johnson. 
Let's go on the other end of the spectrum. How about the LVP? How about someone that uh, you thought might have done well this season but didn't uh, live up to the hype in 2016? Yeah, there's, unfortunately, there's quite a few <laughs> you could put on this list. You could say Brandon Marshall and Allen Robinson were both borderline first-rounders, at least in the, side, the top 15, 20 picks at worst. And then it comes down to the two that I think are a little bit further ahead of them, but obviously it comes down to these two as being the top of the list. Todd Gurley, obviously everybody expects top three running back, expected to have a terrific season. Hey, it was somewhat consistent, actually. It's just he wasn't consistently good was the problem. But the number one, in my opinion, has to be DeAndre Hopkins. So just Brock Osweiler absolutely killed his value this year. DeAndre Hopkins – for the reason that I'll give him over Todd Gurley is, again, at least Todd Gurley ended up being a low-end RB2 flex running back for most of the year where you still got some value out of him. You hated for the fact that you spent a first-rounder on him, but he's not anybody you ever benched. At points, you were benching DeAndre Hopkins, actually several points down the end of the season. For somebody who was a consensus top five, top six pick, top four in PPR leagues, to have what he had this year for the targets he saw this year or last year, and then it didn't roll over to this season with what happened with Brock. I, I really don't see how anybody didn't disappoint you more than DeAndre Hopkins did. As someone who had DeAndre Hopkins, I can agree with you 100% on that <laughs> call. Um, how about biggest surprise? How about someone that you uh, didn't think would maybe jump into a, you know, a top five or 10 in their position, but uh, ended up surprising a bunch of people this year? Who do you think that is? Uh, I think it definitely has to be Melvin Gordon. I, I, don't, I think there's a lot of people out there that said, oh, he'll rebound, he's better, don't write him off after his rookie season. I said he wasn't as bad as he was last year, but even at his best, I still thought he would have similar struggles to Trent Richardson because he sometimes struggles to find holes that the offensive line is creating or isn't creating, and when they're not there, sometimes he's just having trouble creating his own holes. To go from what he did as his rookie season to this year, and yes, he did get hurt, unfortunately, but we are only talking about a pure surprise here. Melvin Gordon was a sixth-round pick. People were taking him, ah, I guess he'll be my third running back. Or, oh, I went wide receiver heavy. I guess he can be my second running back. But I really want to build depth just because I'm not too excited about it to turn out to be, for what the time was until he got hurt, a top-five running back that you got at that cost. I think he, by far, is the biggest surprise. The touchdowns just keep kept coming. And that's the bigger part of the surprise, too. It's not only did he surprise himself, but even early in the year, I'm sure you remember, people were like, okay, the touchdowns are going to stop at some point. They, they can't keep coming. And they just kept coming and coming and coming. So he was almost a double surprise at this point of the year. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I had him in one of my teams as well. So I've had your LVP and your biggest surprise here. <laughs> Let's see about someone to look out for next season, maybe someone that – Probably wasn't a very high draft pick this year as far as fantasy draft is concerned, but someone that could be a top uh, first-round pick or second-round pick come next year. Give me someone that uh, to look out for next year. I'll give you two running backs. I think that they all both ended up – some people drafted the first and then had to drop them because the Miami Dolphins kept trying to make Arian Foster a thing, mm -hmm. and then he got hurt. So people were able to pick J.J. back up. But J.J. and Jordan Howard – have been two of the most valuable waiver wire additions this year. I know some people listening might be like, oh, they were drafted. In Again, might have been drafted, but a lot of people cut bait at some point because Jordan Howard wasn't drafted in so many leagues because Jeremy Lankford was getting the leg up to start the season. And then even after that, because there was such a mix in that backfield, people dropped him. Again, to go back to J.H.I., Aaron Foster was in the backfield. He got hurt. Finally, people picked him up. J.H.I. had the higher ceiling. Jordan Howard had the better consistency down the last five weeks, double-digit points in every single game. Both of these guys, because of their running back landscape and the way that we kind of rebounded from last year from how bad running backs were, and now we're getting more of these bell cow coming back around and more of these trustworthy running backs. These are two guys that are going to be RB1s next year. And if you're talking about an RB1, 
you're going in the first two rounds. I don't know that either one of them maybe makes the first round, but they're round two at worst. Talking with Jake Seeley from RotoExperts.com, part of our final fantasy focus of the season, presented by Campbell's Soup. Let's focus on the Saints. Usually every week uh, we end our conversation with a Saints question or topic. Uh, how about Saints fantasy football MVP? I think the easy way would say Drew Brees, but I don't know what your answer is, but I don't think your answer is Drew Brees. Am I wrong? Uh, no, my answer is not Drew Brees. He could definitely make an argument, but you know, I wrote about this in my waiver wire column when I gave the number one waiver, which people are going to hate to hear this, they're Saints fans, that Matt Ryan was the best waiver pickup of the year. But the fact is, Drew Brees, as amazing as he was, he did have six games where he didn't even hit QB1 status and had those two weeks where no touchdowns. So you know, he's definitely a terrific player, terrific fantasy asset, but are you talking about fantasy-wise, that hurts to have two weeks as poor as he did. So my MVP is also somebody who can be in consideration for a couple of the questions so far. He could be one of the best waiver wire pickups. He's probably somebody that's going to slide into the first two rounds for next year, and that's Michael Thomas. I'm sure that's who you exactly expected me to say. I did. If you look at what he did, look, over at least 40 receiving yards in every single game this season, seven double-digit scores, two games of 20 or plus points, and he's going to be on the verge of cracking 1,000 yards this week. Only five receivers have more touchdowns than he has. He has almost 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns already. To get what he did this year, somebody that, like I said, wasn't drafted in a lot of leagues, picked up off waivers. If you did draft him, it was extremely late. And to be the new – like, you, how many times have I said it now? He's the new, better, improved Marcus Colston for this team. Uh, I think that he's the best receiver for this team going forward, and I honestly think he's the MVP because of the consistency. If it wasn't for those two bad weeks, I would have given it to Drew Brees, but that, that's just the ting, that's the chink in his armor that knocked him out. As the president of the Michael Thomas fan club, I uh, definitely knew that answer was coming uh, from Jake. Jake, uh, that was uh, Jake Seeley from RotoExperts.com, part of our fantasy focus presented by Campbell Soup. Jake, it was a one heck of a ride. I appreciate all your advice this season. You helped me out as well as uh, lots of other people on this show. I appreciate it all, and uh, we look forward to next season, my friend. I always enjoy it. You have a great offseason. And, hey, if you're still playing in Week 17, you can go check out the column on Roto Experts, too. I did throw a couple names in there just in case you are insane. All right. <laughs> I like that. Thank you very much, Jake. When we come back, we'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. Hi, Vincent Palumbo here. Terminex is the home of the $650 lifetime termite repair guarantee. Terminex provides termite protection and pest control. Call Terminex for all your pest problems. 834-7330. Are you ready for a new challenge? Set your goal and go for it with the Smoothie King Change a Meal Challenge. Just change one meal a day with over 20 delicious meal replacement smoothies, all under 400 calories per 20-ounce cup, and sip your way to your goal weight. With flavors like pineapple mango, strawberry blueberry, dark chocolate banana, and more, it's easier than ever to reach for your goal. Take the Change a Meal Challenge, only at Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. Take the challenge as part of a low-calorie diet and daily exercise program. Weight loss depends on individual needs. You're at a dinner party. You're seated next to a loudmouth. Plus, there's no bread. Why is there no bread? Myrtle the Family Chow Chow seems very interested in you. But you're allergic to Myrtle, and you left your inhaler at home. But it doesn't have to be this way. Win the night with the New Orleans Pelicans. See Anthony Davis and the Pels face off against Chris Paul and the L.A. Clippers. Wednesday, December 28th. Visit pelicans.com for tickets and win the night. Want to listen to the Black and Blue Report on your phone? Download the Saints and Pelicans app today. 
All right, time to wrap things up from Studio B. Big thanks to Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com, Jake Seeley from RotoExperts.com. We'll continue our Pelicans talk as we traditionally do on Wednesday with David Wesley from Fox Sports New Orleans. It is a Wesley Wednesday. He and Sean Kelly will talk about Clippers and Pelicans tomorrow night. Plus, look ahead maybe to Pelicans and Knicks on Friday. Maybe talk about the Western Conference, how it's shaping up here with less than 50 games to go. We'll also begin our preview of Saints and Falcons, regular season finale for those two teams as the Falcons get ready for a playoff push and the Saints look to spoil the Falcons' seeding as the Falcons right now sit at the two spot in the NFC, could drop down to three or four with a loss on Sunday afternoon. Hope this Tuesday finds you well. Hope you enjoy it and we hope to see you at the Smoothie King Center tomorrow night against the Clippers. Thanks for listening to today's show. I'm Daniel Salerson. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report, presented by ABC Insurance Agencies, a better choice for insurance. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at noon central or at your convenience exclusively online at pelicans.com and neworleansaints.com. Follow your teams direct from the source, the Black and Blue Report.